to Children's Church. So you can just go through those doors over there. like that. All right. We are in past the middle point, actually, of a sermon series that we've called Real Talk, Tackling Hard Issues. We've talked about things that are not easy to talk about. Matter of fact, at Forks and Fellowship this week, some uh, folks said, dude, like, lighten up a little. Like, are you going to take it easy on us this week? And I was like, no, not. Uh, no, these are not easy issues to talk about. They're not easy issues to prepare for. Um, it's hard for me to stand here and preach these things when I know I struggle with them as much as anyone does. Um, and it's difficult to do that sometimes. You feel, I'll be transparent, sometimes when you preach hard issues like this, you feel like a fraud or a hypocrite because you know you struggle with these sins just as much as anybody does. But that doesn't mean that I can't not preach it because it's still true. So we're all a work in progress. We're all saved sinners. Uh, those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, we're just saved sinners being sanctified, and we're not there yet. And we're thankful for the Holy Spirit continuing to work in us and through us as we work, as, as that happens. So... Uh, we're looking at authority today. We'll be in Titus chapter 3, and we're going to dig into that in just a second. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get rolling. Father God, I come to you, and I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house together today, God. I thank you that we can come here freely and worship and hear your word and sing about you and sing to you. And do that together, Lord. I thank you for the food that we'll have here in a little while, Lord. I thank you that you provide for our needs. Lord, I thank you for each and every individual that is here this morning or that is listening uh, through the camera this morning. God, we, I thank you for them. I pray that you would bless them, that you would bless me, that we would take the blessings that you bless us with, God, and that we would, that we would remember who you are through those blessings and that we would use those blessings to spread your good news, to spread the gospel of Jesus and to expand your kingdom, God, and to bring you glory, because that's what you've made us to do. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so as we get into this, just quick story. So when Christian Herder was the governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term, and he was, uh, had a busy day one day. He was chasing down votes, you know, working hard one busy morning, and uh, had, no had no lunch. Skipped his lunch, working through the, through the lunch, and, and then he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon, and he was starving. He was famished. I don't know if you get a little hangry or a little famished, but I've been known to do that, so I'm told. Uh, as Herder was moving down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman that was serving the chicken, and she put one piece of chicken on his plate and then turned to the next person in line, and he said, excuse me. Governor Herder said, excuse me, do you, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? And she said, Sorry. I was, I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person in line. But I'm starved, said the governor. Sorry, the woman said again, only one to a customer. And Governor Herger was a fairly modest man, an unassuming man, but he decided at this time that he'd throw a little weight around. And he said, do you know who I am? I'm the governor 
of this state of Massachusetts. And she said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, <laughs> mister. Huh. So, looking forward to the potluck today, but <laughs> careful who you push on the fellowship committee, just saying. Huh. Let's read through this. Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out this Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Man, Paul says a lot right there in those few verses. He says a lot to us right there in those few verses. Uh, he's talking to Titus. This is one of the, the pastoral letters where, 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 where Paul is talking directly to a person and not just to a group, but he's talking to a person. And uh, there's a lot going on where Titus is the pastor. He's the pastor uh, of the churches in, in Crete, which is a not very civilized place, you could say, at the time. Uh, and he's covered a lot of things. And if you, if you back up a verse from where we started, it says, Say these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, we looked at Titus 2, 1 through 14 when we were looking at addiction. And if you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that, sermons.fbc.com. Uh, this is the linking verse between what we looked at there and then what we're looking at today. This, this, links, this verse links those two sections. And Paul, uh, Paul's encouraging and he's exhorting and he's reminding and he's instructing Titus, the pastor of the churches, the pastor of the churches in Crete, that he is to preach and to teach with authority to encourage and rebuke the people unto righteous living. And he says, let no one disregard you, Paul tells Titus this. Now remember, he's where we looked at it in those verses a couple weeks ago. He's just given a large theological statement. And he's given that to back up the practical instructions that he gives on either side of that theological statement. And he says, in that theological statement, he says in 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness, and worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. He's, he saved us so we wouldn't continue in sin. And to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession and eager to do good works. So with, with that in mind, he goes into to chapter 3, verse 1, where we started today, that, that theological statement. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to, to obey. Titus, as God's man in Crete, was responsible to protect and lead the flock of God, as well as the church leaders and the teachers of the word in the church at Crete. And frequently, frequently pastors need to unapologetically remind 
believers of God's truth. That's one of the things that we're called to do on a regular basis. The Bible Knowledge Commentary aptly notes that a large part of a pastor's public ministry is reminding people of what they already know. That's, that's, what it, that's what preaching is most of the time. Most of the time, I'm just telling you things that you already know. But as one of my favorite psalms says, we are prone to wander. And we know that. We, that's why we meet on a weekly basis. You go much longer than that, and you'll be a knucklehead even more than you already are. We're prone to wander. So he's constantly remind, 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 remind. We're always having to be reminded of things that we already know. And what I'm teaching today from these scriptures, you already know. You just struggle to do it, and I struggle to do it because we're sinful. Here's the issue of the time, the specific context of where, where Paul and Titus is with, with the churches at Crete and, and under the, in the Roman Empire. Christians were often looked at with suspicion in the Roman Empire because their conduct was so different and because they met in private worship meetings. And more specifically to the community of, of the believers that Titus was pastoring, this is what C.H. Spurgeon says about the people of Crete in general. You see, they were a rough, wild, rebellious people in Crete, and Christianity comes to civilize, to sober, to sanctify, to save. There's a rub. There's a rub when the gospel of Jesus meets the way of the world. And Crete had a lot of rough edges that needed to be rounded off. And Paul is working through Titus and through this letter to get him to preach and remind them of these things. They were known for being a rebellious people, specifically towards civil authorities, towards local rulers, towards those in charge of the Roman Empire. Paul says this about them in this letter in chapter 1, in verse 10. For they are also, they are also there are also many rebellious people Full of empty talk and deception, especially those from Judaism, it is necessary to silence them. They overthrow whole households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. And then he continues that uh, in, the, in verse 12 in chapter 1, saying this about the, Cre the Cretans. One of their very own prophets, one of their own religious people says this about them. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Wow. Wow. This testimony is true, so rebuke them sharply. This is how Paul starts the letter to Titus, that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of men who reject the truth. This is the group of people that Titus is trying to pastor. They're a rebellious people. They're a difficult people. They are people. Just people in general. You could just say that. They're just people. We're all like that from time to time. Some of us are a little more rebellious than others. I won't start naming names, but you know who you are. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to obey. So again, these people's reputations precede them. Maybe that's why Paul is telling Titus, remind them again. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to obey. But here's the hard reality. This truth given from Paul to Titus to the people of Crete is just as applicable to us today as it was to the Cretans. We're called to do the same things. This wasn't just for them. This is for us too. We're called to do the same things and be the same followers of Jesus that the people in the New Testament are called. Sometimes I think we try to separate ourselves for, you know, 
But no, we're called to the same things. Paul is specifically talking about public figures in this, in this specific context. He's, he's talking about public figures, government authorities, and the like. That's what he's talking about here. But if you put this with the whole of the new covenant teachings of Jesus, submission to authority is required of all authority relationships in this life. It is a sign of a submitted heart to God to submit to the human authority figures that you have in your life. And that's where it rubs you wrong as a sinner. It rubs us wrong. We don't like it. Being submissive to authority is a virtue of Jesus' followers. Being submissive to authority is a virtue. Say virtue. That's a good thing. That's something that we're supposed to display in our life. It is a virtue of Jesus' followers. It is something that should be said about any and all Jesus' followers that they are submissive to the authority figures in their lives. Let's look at a few places that this plays out in our everyday lives. Okay, I know we're right in the middle of the sermon, but we're going to get practical right now, right off the bat. Okay, How about this? These are, these are all scriptural relationships that are talked about. Employer to employee. Employer to employee. What do you call your, embo- your employer? They are your boss. We use that word for a reason. They're in charge. Your employer is in charge of what you do. A a, a relationship that is being ever so dismantled by our current society. I was talking to somebody today that that has to hire people on a regular basis, and they were like, all they want to talk about is how how much time they get off, like what are their benefits. They think a 40-hour week is an overtime week. Like they don't understand that a 40-hour week is a normal week. Like this, this relationship of authority and subordination to authority is eroding but that should not be the case with those who say they follow Jesus for the same reason that it was the case then because it disrupts society Jesus calls us to be good citizens in this world not disruptive rebellious citizens in this world with a few exceptions that we'll get to in a second so before you get all aggravated just calm down these are in general statements about in general relationships. Right? Tony Evans says it like this. In the end, Christians are serving God in all they do. And he is always watching our motives and actions. When we cheat the time clock at work, we are really cheating God himself and giving the world a poor reflection of our master. It's difficult, it's difficult for the world to see us say that we submit to Jesus, but we won't even submit to our boss. They don't really, it doesn't really jive. It doesn't, it, Christians should be the best employers or employees that walk the face of the earth. Either one. Whether you're in charge or you're being put in, or someone is in charge of you. Either way, we should be, every business in America and in the world should say, man, if we could just find more Christians to work here, then we'd have a productive business. Because we wouldn't, there wouldn't be cheating on time clocks. There wouldn't be wasting time while we're on the clock. There wouldn't be lying and cheating and stealing. There shouldn't be anyway. And you can't justify that. Well, my boss is a jerk. It doesn't say submit to authority unless they're a jerk. If they're a jerk, then you don't have to. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. How about this one? Parent to child. The parent is the authority figure. The child is not. The parent is the authority figure and should act and conduct themselves 
like the authority figure, like the one that is in charge. And the child should submit themselves to the parent as the one in charge. I used to tell the students this a lot whenever I was a youth pastor. You don't understand. Parenting is hard. It's really hard to do well. Now, like just about anything else in this world, it's easy to do it crappy, to do a terrible job. It's easy to do that. But to be a good parent, it is difficult. It is so hard to do it right. But this is another example of where you have an authority figure in your life and you are called to be submissive and to obey. Again, there are exceptions, and we'll get to those in a second. Now, no elbowing during this part. This is just the way it is. Husband to wife. That's the way it's set up. That's what it says. You can tear pages out and throw them away if you want to, but it says it. That the wife is to be submissive to the husband, but that the husband is supposed to love the wife like Jesus loves the church. It's a reciprocal relationship. It's not a dominant relationship. It's not a, it's not a domineering, I'm in charge, you do what I say. It's a, I lead in a way that you want to submit to the authority figure. That's the way that it should be. Now, I understand a lot of these situations, that's not always the case, but that's, that doesn't matter. We still submit. The, hus- the wife shows her love for Jesus by how she treats her husband. And if there's a constant usurping of authority in that relationship, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Again, the husband is supposed to live in a way and conduct himself in a way like Jesus did for us. What did Jesus do for us? He gave up everything. He went to a cross innocently and shed his blood for you and I so that our sin could be covered. So the husband, he's got a big duty on his hands. But the thing is, he's called to be, that was cool, that was fun. Yeah, here we go. Oh, I just went to sleep, like some of y'all. <laughs> wake a computer up, wake everybody else up. There we go. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> uh, yeah, husbands are in charge, wives do what we say. That's what, it, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's not what it is. <laughs> Uh, But it's another example. It's another example of of this relationship. I was probably going somewhere, but the Lord probably stopped me on purpose. Here's another one. And you ain't going to like this one. I tell you right now. Teacher to student, coach to athlete. The teacher is the authority figure. The coach is the authority figure. The student, the athlete, is to be subordinate to that authority figure. Here's how this is done wrongly. Well, if that just... If we could just throw those words out of our vocabulary, we would be much better off. Well, if that coach would just, when you as the parent are saying that in front of your child, the athlete, you are usurping the authority of that authority figure. Every single time you do that, you're telling your kid it's okay to do the same thing to you. That's what you're saying. Now, I get that there are disagreements in these situations. I get it. I get that, especially in athletics, it is a highly charged emotional environment, and sometimes we react, and by we, I mean we, as in you and me, react inappropriately in those situations. When there's a clock counting down and scores on each side, it just brings out 
the absolute worst of us sometimes. I get that. But it is a constant, it, or not constant, it is a relationship of authority to subordination. It's an example of as followers of Jesus, we show our submission to Jesus by how we submit to authority figures in our lives. Here's how this gets, here's how I have heard this discussed or lived out wrongly. If the coach is consistently the problem, but the coach is changing, maybe the coach isn't the problem. Now let that sit there and bug you for a little bit, because I know it's going to. I hadn't got an email in a long time, but I probably will now, and that's okay. That's fine. But if you're consistently changing the authority figure, and then consistently complaining about the authority figure, Maybe the authority figure is not the problem. Maybe those that are supposed to submit to the authority figure are the problem. Maybe. I could be wrong. I told you you weren't going to like that one. Now, here's some exceptions, and I'll, I'll get some amens here. If you go to Acts 5.28, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. This is the Jewish religious authority figures speaking to the apostles, specifically Peter, in this situation. We told you not to preach Jesus anymore, but you're still doing it. You're filling Jerusalem with it. And here was Peter's response. Peter replied, and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. This is an authority figure saying, don't do this. And the apostles saying, sorry, man. God's more important than you are. It's an example of when we do not submit to authority. And then he continues saying, the God of our fathers here in Acts, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter goes on to say, you can do what you need to do. I understand you've got a job to do. So if it costs me my life, it costs me my life. You see the difference here? Even in his uh, not submitting to authority, he's still being respectful. Now, he's telling the truth, and the truth don't feel good to these people that are hearing it. He said, hey, Jesus is God, and you bums hung him on a tree. But he's doing it in a respectful, loving, still submissive attitude towards authority, but he's not doing something that God has said you shouldn't do. He's not going to let them say you have to do this, even if it goes against what God has called us to do. So there are times when human authority figures don't get to tell you what to do, but if it's just, if it's just your preference, if it's just the ideas, if it's just inconvenient, if it's just a personality conflict, if it's just any of those things, but it's not actually causing you to do something you're not supposed to do, then we're called to submit to it. And that takes God for us to be able to do that. You can't do that, and I can't do that on the regular. Here's another example. 
At the moment you hear the sound, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. That's in Daniel 3. This was 2,500 years ago when this was taking place, when Israel was in exile in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar said, everybody is going to, when you hear, when you hear this sound, Get on your knees and worship me. And this scripture that comes after this is one of my favorite passages of all of scripture. This is the response. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I absolutely love this passage because it says, I trust God to do this thing in my life, but I don't know God's will. I don't know exactly what he's going to do, but I do know what I've been called to do. What I've been called to do is to worship him and to tell the truth. That's what I've been called to do. So I'm telling you, I believe he's going to save me from his fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, and I didn't understand what his will is. I'm not worshiping anyone besides him. I'm doing what he's called me to do. I love that. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, we're not going to worship your gods or worship, serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Peter reminds us that by being submissive, in particular to government authority, that such is the will of God. That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Peter says that in 1 uh, Peter 2.15. That is the will of God that we submit to authority figures and thereby silencing the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, there's nothing authority figures can say to disparage the follower of Jesus if you're doing the right thing. Now, they can say a bunch of stuff, but it's not true. And ultimately, even a corrupt, sinful society, society will know that what they're saying is not true. It's like, you know, when the, when the boss is like, man, old Jim, I tell you what, that dude's sorry. I can't get him to do nothing. But when old Bob knows old Jim, old Bob goes, it's eh, not the way my reactions go, my interactions go with, with Jim. That's a good dude. He shows up on time. He's always nice to me. He went and got me coffee for no reason the other day. Right? He's respectful. He asked me about my wife and kids. Like, I think Jim's awesome. I don't know what he's talking about. That's how it plays out in real life. Now, you're saying, well, that doesn't seem like that big a deal. Well, it's a big deal to God. If God tags something as his will, then it's a big deal. His will is that we submit to authority so that by doing so, we may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Because here's the, here's the reason we are submissive, okay? Here's the reason. It's not just to be submissive, just to be submissive. Submissive, back to our scriptures where we started. It's to be ready for every good work. We don't just submit to submit. We submit to do good. We submit to our authority figures so that we can do good. We want to do good. You combine the two. You get the full picture. Not just by being submissive and obedient, but to be ready to do Good works. We're called to be the best citizens in our communities possible. 
the community of Danville should say, man, if we just had more Christians in this community, this community would be so much better. Now, I understand that evil is going to fight against the work of God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying an overarching theme should be, man, at least those Christians tell the truth. At least those Christians are kind. At least those Christians don't lie and cheat and steal. At least I can trust that guy. I may not like what he has to say, but at least I can trust him. He means what he says, and he does what he says, or she does what she says, whatever the case may be. He tells us some quick not-tos and some quick to-dos in the next verse. Some very quick things here from Paul. The first is the not-tos. Not to slander, not to fight. How, how am I to be submissive and obedient to rulers and authorities and ready for every good work? First, by not slandering and by not fighting. There's other parts in Scripture where it says that we should never grumble or complain. Not easy subjects. I'm just letting them sit there and marinate for a second. I can tell that you're thoroughly, thoroughly enthralled with this message. It is so, so awesome. Your, your feedback, I can feel it. So he says not, two things not to do first. Don't talk bad about people. That's not true. And don't be the quarrelsome, fighting, grumbling, complaining wine bags at your job or to your parents or to your husband or to your wife or to your coach or to your teacher or whatever authority figures there are in your life or in this specific context to the government authorities. And then he gives us the to-dos, to be kind, always showing gentleness to all the people. First he gives us what not to do, then he gives us what to do. Be kind and gentle to all people. Another way you could say this, this is to be humble to all people, this Greek word, you could say it that way. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. We don't slander. We don't, we're not quarrelsome, which means we're, look, we're, we're easily offended by things we shouldn't be offended by. I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for things that are true or right or moral. Of course we should stand up for those things. What I'm saying is a quarrelsome person, a person that is fighting all the time, is someone who's looking for a reason to be upset. They're looking for a reason to be offended. They have a victim mentality, and they're always, it's always something's wrong, something's wrong, you're doing me wrong, you're doing me wrong. Oh, they're easily offended. They're the kind of people that make me want to put my head through a wall. Verse 3, and then he gives the justification before it. Because you were like that too. That's what Paul's saying. Before you knew Jesus, that's how you, should, that's how you would have been described. A slandering, quarrelsome, unkind, not gentle not humble, braggadocious jerk. But you found, but Jesus, you realized Jesus saved you. You submitted your life to Jesus. So that should have changed, Paul is saying. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by the various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful, detesting one another. Does anybody in here want to be described like this? Enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and detesting each other? I don't think anybody wants to be described that way. Before you knew Jesus, that's probably how you were described. After you know him, shouldn't be. And if it is, then you should apologize and say you were wrong. And so should I if it's brought to our attention. Then he goes into a big theological statement. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. And not because you did it, because he did it. That's what this next statement says. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Spirit. Quick side note, that's not talking about baptism. It's not saying that baptism saves you. 
Okay? If it's talking about baptism, it would say baptism, but it doesn't. It's talking metaphorically about how, how the Holy Spirit cleanses us of our sin. That's what it's talking about. He poured out this Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He says, hey, you were like that, but when the kindness, but when the kindness of God our Savior showed up in your life, you realized, hey, there's a better way to live. There's a better way to treat each other. Like God has treated me with kindness and mercy and grace. Mm, that's the way we should do it. And then he finishes with, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. We used to be like this. Here's how you should be. Submissive to rulers and obeying. Not slandering. Not fighting. Being kind. Being gentle. Being humble. That's how we should be. But you weren't always like that. But then the kindness of God showed up and it changed you. And you realize that having been justified by his grace, that you can stand before God and because of what God did, he accepts you. Justified by his grace, right standing, stamped on your life, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. We live with the hope of eternal life. We can endure anything this life has to throw at us. Christians should be the toughest, most mentally tough, spiritually, emotionally tough people on the planet because we have the hope of eternal life. And when the hope of eternal life is on the forefront of your mind, when you're thinking about the things above and not the things that you see in day to day, you can get, you can, you, not only can you get through it, you can thrive in any circumstance when the, when the hope of eternity is what's in the forefront of your mind and how you live and how we make decisions and how we treat each other. That's how we do it. So that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. So I'll sum it up with one statement, and we'll finish up. Your conduct should be as a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, not your own kingdom. You can sum it up like that. You're not in charge. Jesus is in charge. You're not submitting to Joe Bob the jerk boss. You're submitting to Jesus. Eternity is in the forefront of your mind. You're not submitting to your husband because, because you're weak. You're doing it because you're strong and you want to show your love for Christ. Your husband doesn't, as the husband, you shouldn't, you shouldn't complain about the things you give up so that your family can thrive. You should do that because Jesus did something for you. He gave up the riches of heaven and came to be poor on this earth for you. So anything that you sacrifice in your life is, is, is just a testament to how good he is. Your conduct should be as a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, not your own kingdom. What are you trying to build? Why are you constantly trying to usurp the authority figures in your life? Why are you trying to make it about you? It's not about you. Stop trying to build your kingdom and submit and live in his kingdom for him and find rest and peace and joy and all the things you think you're going to gain by building your kingdom. Don't do that. Our conduct should be as a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, not our own kingdom. Father God, I thank you and I love you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you came to save a sinner like me, Father. And I pray today that as we go through this, this simple teaching, God, that you would give us hearts that desire to show your authority in our lives by how we submit to the authority figures in our lives, God. As 
as difficult as it may be. God, give us that heart today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.